Welcome to the nationally syndicated In the Oil Patch radio show with Kim Bellotto, broadcasting from the Port of Corpus Christi studios. Get more on the Port of Corpus Christi at portofcc.com. In the Oil Patch radio show will give you an inside look at the oil, gas, and energy industry and how it affects you from industry experts and government officials right here on the In the Oil Patch radio show. And now it's time for me to welcome my guest, Alan Schaefer, who is the Executive Director of Engine Technology Forum. Alan, welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. Well, let's start by a lot of our listeners. uh, I'm not familiar with your organization, Engine Technology Forum. Tell me a little bit about what kind of organization structure are you? I think I read your 501c3, meaning a not-for-profit. But tell us about the mission. And then I'd also like to know a little bit about how you became the executive director. What's your past history as well with this organization? Sure. Well, this is a We are squarely in our first month of existence as the Engine Technology Forum, but for the previous 23 years, uh, we were the Diesel Technology Forum. And that organization was founded back in 2000 by engine and equipment manufacturers, fuel producers, and others who are concerned about the understanding about the role of diesel fuel and engines and equipment in our global economy and felt like uh, folks were attacking diesel unfairly. There was not a lot of uh, balance out there in the conversation about what the environmental progress was on uh, reducing emissions from diesel and how important it was to the global economy. So that was the uh, the launching point for the Diesel Technology Forum. And so for the last 23 years, we've focused pretty exclusively on diesel from uh, everything from light duty vehicles on up to marine vessels, railroad locomotives, et cetera. Any kind of issues, policies, discussion, arguments um, we've been involved with over the years um, regarding diesel. And in uh, last year, our members started to feel like um, we needed to evolve to more broadly take on a um, educational and outreach campaign for the internal combustion engine and all the different kinds of fuels that it uses. So in a practical way, what that means is we'll still be uh, very strong advocates and educators uh, about diesel, but also we'll expand our portfolio to get into spark ignited engines and technologies like gasoline, propane, and also some of the new emerging uh, fuels and technologies like hydrogen for internal combustion engines, um, possibly e-fuels that are coming um, and of course, uh, renewable and bio-based diesel fuels, which have always been a major focus. Um, so that's really the 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 engine technology forum. Our members today are the same members we had a year ago, and those are engine equipment makers, fuel producers, both in the petroleum side and the renewable side. A lot of uh, top-level mm-hmm. engine and equipment manufacturers. Um, so that's that is that story. Um, as for me. Uh, I've been at the helm of this um, since the beginning. Uh, I've had the good fortune to be involved since the very outset. Uh, My background previously was uh, I was vice president of environmental policy at the American Trucking Associations for 13 years. So I got a good understanding of the trucking industry and uh, my educational background. uh, I've got a master's in environmental and public health. Um, So I come at this from uh, that perspective, uh, trying to help folks understand just how much these different fuels and technologies contribute to our economy, but also how much they've helped improve our environment and quality of life. 
You know, um, a couple of things you said really uh, struck a chord with me. First and foremost is that you're changing the name to Engine Technology Forum from Diesel. And that's really good because obviously everything that is moving is using some form of fuel. And as these new fuels are coming on to address climate change and uh, air quality standards, um, a lot of companies outgrow their name. And it's time for them to uh, look at another name that fits more of a broader base model. So that's a very uh, a normal thing when you're growing and trying to address ever-changing topics. What caught my eye about your recent uh, paper that you released, white paper, titled Benefits of Renewable Bio-Based uh, Diesel Fuels, is just kind of how, how much things are evolving so quickly in different areas. And, and for our listeners, when you think about jet fuels, right, um, everybody is on a plane, whether they're going on vacation or work, uh, very, very important that we that we keep moving in the air. But yet we know that we're looking at how are we going to change and transition from using the traditional jet fuel into something that addresses more the climate change. So your report is actually extremely good um, in helping us understand what we probably will see uh, evolving. And it's good to know that your organization is right there at the forefront located in Washington, D.C. to help our elected officials really understand some of the policies that they might need to change or how to move in a way that is uh, looking at newer things that are coming on the market. In your paper, you also talk about states that are taking advantage of some of the newer technology to address climate change. So we're going to get into all of that. But let's start with a basic overview of the report. Now, in your report, um, it was developed by Transportation Energy Strategies, which is a leading consultant in global transportation energy issues. And basically what it says is your report looked at renewable bio-based fuels, such as biofuel, renewable diesel, which I want to cover that in detail. What is that? And proven available strategies that are immediately reducing greenhouse gases and other emissions. Um, and so let's start talking about that. Can you give us in your report, renewable diesel? It's a word that is used a lot, but not, I think, in the general public domain. So um, your, your report says renewable diesel is a hydrocarbon that is chemically equivalent to uh, petrodiesel, and it can be used to replace fuel up to 100% or blending with any amount of petroleum diesel, uh, either in new or existing engines without any changes in the fueling infrastructure or vehicles. So I wanna really get into that because what I'm reading was that states like California that use this a lot, there's not a lot of hold modification or you don't need to drop a new engine in. This kind of stuff can be, so let's start with, tell me about what is renewable diesel and how is it competing or replacing regular diesel? Sure. Well, I think you know one of the great attributes of the diesel engine is uh, going way back to its uh, initial patent and its initial founding by Rudolf Diesel, and that was that engine first burned on uh, some type of vegetable oil. It didn't burn on diesel fuel, but some kind of vegetable oil, uh, because that contained uh, hydrocarbons, and the engine was able to burn that particular kind of fuel. And that's one of the great attributes that still is there today. And we see uh, bio-based diesel fuels, both renewable diesel and biodiesel, as being really key to the sustainability 
of the internal combustion engine broadly. And on the gasoline side, it's the ethanol uh, there where we see uh, that being key to uh, continuing the, the use of gasoline internal combustion. Um, the, 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 for those that aren't schooled in this, we'll do a little bit of chemistry here at the beginning. Um, so biodiesel is produced with um, one type of fairly basic process, the primary feedstocks for uh, biodiesel as well as renewable diesel, they use the same feedstocks for the most part, um, have typically been soybeans. And so it's a byproduct of the food production. So um, it's taking the, uh, the, uh, the the resultant squashed soybean, if you will, and capturing that oil and then uh, turning that oil into a useful fuel. And so basic biodiesel uses a pretty simple method that results in a, a molecule, it's called a fatty acid methyl ester, FAME. Um, and it's it's a it's a great product that's uh, suitable for use in, in pretty much all diesel engines, up to about a 20% blend with regular petroleum diesel. And that has to do with some of the properties of biodiesel and its ability to be uh, burned in different um, types of vehicles with different kinds of emissions controls, et cetera. Um, and so that's been around for a long time. More recently, there's been a tremendous amount of interest in using um, a drop-in replacement for petroleum diesel known as renewable diesel, as you just uh, mentioned. Uh, that's sometimes called HVO, hydrogenated vegetable oil. That's a term you might see referred to more in Europe than in the U.S., but um, renewable diesel is really a, a fantastic um, development. And what it is, uh, again, using the same kind of feedstocks, um, we're using waste um, animal processing fats uh, from uh, chicken and beef processing. So it's uh, all about waste. It's taking waste products, waste from the soybean production, as well as um, other organic materials, putting that through a petroleum uh, refining-like process that is very highly controlled. And that's one of the differences between basic biodiesel and renewable diesel is that it's it's a much more highly refined product. So out the other end comes a literally a clear liquid, looks like water, but it is effectively a drop-in replacement with diesel fuel, having uh, some better ignition properties, um, the same or slightly better energy density um, as a, a petroleum diesel. And it's uh, great for storage. It can be stored uh, for fairly long periods of time without any concern. That's one of the advantages over biodiesel, which can uh, draw in water and some other things, if not used fairly quickly. Um, but renewable diesel can be transported by pipeline. Um, it can be used in any diesel engine, new and existing. And that really is one of the keys here, where we can take and think about there's over, I don't know, uh, roughly you know, 100 million or so um, commercial vehicles and, and equipment and machines out there that use diesel technology. If we start using uh, some form of biofuels in a large portion of those, we start to have some pretty immediate impact on greenhouse gas emissions, as well as other emissions. Um, so it's a very favorable kind of consideration that can bring some immediate benefits to different places. So renewable diesel, it's a great success story. Um, so where can you get it? Um, and this is really a, a situation that is evolving fairly rapidly, which is good. Um, but it has largely been centered in California um, for the last right. uh, 10 years right. or so, as California had a low carbon fuel standard, effectively mm -hmm. requiring uh, refiners to blend in some lower carbon constituents into their fuel stream 
to be able to continue to sell petroleum products. And the product that most of them blend in is uh, renewable diesel. And okay. others, other states have adopted this, Oregon and Washington as well. I was so, going to say that in your report, I want to get into that a little bit on, on, in the show, but in your report, it shows that uh, re renewable diesel supply has grown rapidly since 2019, largely responding to demand created by states, low fuel, which you mentioned that uh, California, the uh, low carbon fuel uh, program requirements. But the numbers are amazing, doubling from 800 million gallons to 2.6 billion gallons as of March 2023. And in the U.S., R&D production capacity could reach 5.9 billion by the end of 2025. 83% of all R&D consumption occurs in California. So let's take a quick break. When we get back, I want to talk about what's California doing to lower their greenhouse gases. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. We're back. You're listening to an oil patch radio show. My guest today is Alan Schaefer, executive director of Engine Technology Forum. Alan, before the break, we were discussing a white paper that your organization released titled The Benefits of Renewable Bio-Based Diesel Fuels, which appears to be a better choice when we talk about addressing climate change and can be used to either replace petroleum diesel base or at, as an additive into it as well. But to look at the numbers before the break on how it, much certain states have been using renewable diesel and the amount that we're seeing it surge in the way of use is, is telling me that there's a whole lot of use in renewable diesel. Mm -hmm. And we know it's better for the environment. So I'd like for you to tell me a little bit about so in your report, it says that 83% of all renewable diesel is being, cons uh, the consumption is occurring in California in 2022. And numerous states have also evaluated that the greenhouse gas, better known as the GHG, uh, and criteria for air pollutants, admission benefits are also benefiting from using the renewable diesel. Please tell me why and what is California doing and leading the way? Sure. Well, it, it, I think it's pretty straightforward. Uh, California has established a policy to reduce the carbon intensity um, of its transportation fuels over time, increasing um, a certain percentage each year. And this has been underway for, as I said, uh, almost a decade now, I would say. It's part of a larger uh, climate uh, action plan that they have uh, been focused on for more than 10 years now. And so that plan um, has resulted in um, a great market for renewable diesel in the state by the demand for not only the transportation fuels, and California is a big economic engine, as you know, trucking is huge in California. And so um, one of their strategies is to try and decarbonize the transportation fleet there. Um, they have a range of different policies, uh, some requiring zero emission vehicles um, purchases, but right now, uh, renewable diesel is really the thing that is delivering the most carbon reduction credits and benefits to uh, to the state. Looking at 2022, um, they uh, the use of renewable diesel and biodiesel delivered the most carbon reduction credits in California, more than ethanol and more than electricity. So 
when we think about the strategies that are really controlling greenhouse gas uh, emissions in California today, it's not the electrification of cars. And it's it's not the use of, of ethanol in, in gasoline vehicles. It's the use of renewable diesel and biodiesel across the fleet of diesel engines and equipment in the transportation sector. And so that wow. uh, su that success story has you know sort of found its way further north to Portland or to the Oregon and and Pacific Northwest in Washington State, and they are working with California to sort of establish a low carbon fuels corridor, if you will, where the majority of the transportation fuel there over time will be transitioned towards high blends of these renewable bio based diesel fuels like renewable diesel. So the, again, the beauty of these fuels is that you don't need a new infrastructure. We don't need to wait mm -hmm. years to install electric charging stations for benefits. We don't need to wait until um, electric vehicles are available. We can start using these fuels today in any existing engine or piece of equipment or truck um, at within the manufacturer's recommendations, whatever that blend might be. And renewable diesel is 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 really the I would say the preferred product because it it does behave just as good as or better than petroleum diesel. So you don't have to worry about emissions issues necessarily. It it does not um, have negative impacts on some of the emissions control systems, particularly some of the older vehicles. Um, and it delivers the carbon benefits immediately as well as other benefits. And um, you know, it is a it is a great success story for um, uh, for a way to sustain the internal combustion engine. Okay, so for the listeners, I want to drill down just a little bit more into the report. Of give us a brief overview of what the RFS two program is, because in your graph in your study, it shows table that talks about the renewable fuel types. And one of them is GHG reduction targets. But I noticed in the biomass uh, diesel, there's a targeted of rate of 50%. And it includes, uh, and I found this very interesting, uh, is the transportation fuel for additives, heating oil, jet fuel. This is you know, all kinds of uh, fuel that we're using. And and I want you to go into this graph with us to tell us a little bit more about what type of fuels are we looking to lower uh, the uh, emissions, but also replace at some point um, with a better, cleaner burning type fuel. So can you give us a brief overview of what is the RFS2 program? What's its intent? Sure. You know, this is a renew it stands for the renewable fuel standard, uh, the second generation. So the renewable fuel standard um, program is it's a policy that the national federal government, Congress put in motion um, to really replace or reduce petroleum-based transportation fuels with ones that are renewable and come from renewable feedstocks. Um, and so we're we're talking about um the basis for reason for doing that is to reduce carbon emissions, right? We're talking about decarbonization here, reducing emissions right. of CO2. And right. so um, certain, uh, the way the system work is that EPA um, establishes um, obligations for renewable volumes that uh, obligated parties, in this case, these would be petroleum um, producers and distributors, they have to every year um, introduce um, increasing blends of these renewable fuels into the feeds, into the, mainstream fuel supply 
Um, and there's credits generated for these um, over time. And EPA sets the volumes of fuels that um, must come into the marketplace on given years. And there are tax implications of how this works as well. There's a blender's credit of a dollar a gallon available for uh, biofuels traditionally. And this provides mm -hmm. uh, some stability for those producing these fuels to uh, get into the marketplace, to make investments, to have their fuels uh, get into the mainstream fuel fuel stream. So, um, and different fuels have different carbon intensity reduction potential. Um, so some do more than others. And um, renewable um, uh, biomass-based diesel is one of those that can do 50% of greenhouse gas reduction target. And that means that it, it's getting at least 50% lower greenhouse gases than a comparable combustion of um, of petroleum products. So um, it is, uh, uh, there's some very specific definitions and it's a RFS2 is a very detailed kind of program. But suffice it to say, it is it is the driver and the thing that helps get these fuels into the population through economic tax credit incentives and also requirements mm -hmm. that um, that these fuels be blended into the uh, fuel supply. Alan, let's take a quick break. When we return, I want to get back on this topic and talk a little bit about how renewable diesel is being used in California and drill down on that just a little bit more. You're listening to an old patch radio show and we'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to an old Patria show. My guest today is Alan Schaefer, who is the executive director of Engine Technology Forum. Alan, before the break, I have to say that I really enjoyed reading this report. It was somewhat technical because I'm not in fuel supply. I have a general understanding of it, but not anything to your level. But I thought it was interesting to bring it to the listeners because it really shows a change that's occurring when we're talking about looking at renewable diesel, which seems to be somewhat of a replacement for just regular diesel, which burns a lot more dirtier, if you will, and releases a lot more air emissions for us. And not a, it's not really the best to be addressing for greenhouse gases. So this report kind of gave us an idea of where we're going with the replacement um, on this renewable diesel. And so I want to get back on the report because in it, we, we talked a little bit, you helped us to understand a little bit about the RFS2 program and how the um, EPA is implementing it through calculations. Your graph, again, I encourage our listeners to go to your website because it goes into great detail of the types of fuels and the numbers of what you're seeing being in the way of replacing or lowering the greenhouse gases. But I want to talk a little bit about California again, because I don't think we really covered how really, I know that they're doing a lot. You said they are, but Specifically in California, they are using LCFS, and it has a graph that you guys show of really how they've been able to lower the intensity that they are using of lowering greenhouse gases. And I want you to go through that report for us, if you will, too. Mm -hmm. First of all, R&D's use in California. Tell us about it. Sure. Uh, well, the low carbon fuel standard, uh, you know, it, it's kind of like an accounting program. It's it's credits and deficits, and, it, and it's because California has established um, the need to reduce carbon emissions overall. So uh, for fuel producers, they have a number of different strategies they can use. Um, one is you can capture carbon from the production of manual refining of petroleum, um, and that can give you some credits. Um, you can also see uh, introduction of zero emission vehicle and infrastructure for that. Uh, those can be uh, big uh, credit generators in some cases, or the fuel pathway is available to help reduce carbon emissions. So 
the state basically establishes compliance targets and the fuel producers have to meet those targets. And so we're on this the period of time where we're stepping down towards a much lower carbon intensity of transportation fuels. And they've uh, the state has provided a range of options to do that. Um, and of course, at the end, what they wanna have is those fuels that have the lowest carbon intensity possible in the transportation fuel or in, the, in the transportation world. So one of the mindsets in California is electrification, because if you're generating um, electricity from 100% renewable sources, the carbon intensity of that would be zero effectively. Um, and so that you might say is the lowest carbon intensity uh, transportation fuel. But we all know that not every um, type of vehicle or, or activity is going to be suitable for electrification. And some maybe not ever, and some maybe not for many years. So in the meantime, um, this idea that we need to reduce the carbon intensity of the fuels that we are using today is there. And so this this program effectively dictates that, um, and it's got you know a range of different uh, offsets that that apply here, and there, there are different life cycle factors that go in depending on where you're getting your feedstocks and whether the fuel or electricity is produced from natural gas burning or solar or wind, for example, there's different carbon intensities of each of those. So um, all of that comes together and um, the lower the carbon intensity of the fuel, um, the, the program awards a premium for that. And renewable diesel, because it's using waste feedstocks um, and because of its performance in diesel engines, is one of those that has the lowest carbon intensity fuels available. So that's why most of the focus has been on um, the use of this fuel in, in California and why it's generated the most credits in reducing carbon um, over time. Um, and so um, I think, you know, if we widen out the scope a little bit, I mean, the California program is has really been uh, focused around some of their very aggressive climate policies that don't necessarily transfer to other states at this time. Um, there are about 33 states that do have climate action plans of their own, and some of those states might be considering low-carbon fuel standards uh, of their own. Um, I know in the Northeast here, where we're based, um, uh, there's been a, a discussion in the Northeast region from Virginia to Maine about whether or not a, um, a low-carbon fuel standard would make sense um, in this part of the world as well. So um, it is one of the, the, the best strategies, in my opinion, that um, policymakers have to reduce the greenhouse gas emissions from the transportation sector um, rapidly and efficiently in terms of cost. Yes, I agree with you because looking at your graph on the uh, LCFS annual compliance targets and just seeing, you, you mentioned in break that started in uh, 2011, and even just looking at the graph to 2023, how far it's come down is is is, is pretty impressive. And then looking at the to 2030 where it's going to go and, and um you know these are pretty easy quick fixes if you will when you don't have to replace uh motors and it can be easily implemented so i'm looking i'm like okay this this graph really does show california's doing something right to address it i do want to we're gonna take a quick break but when we return i want to get into a little bit more into the report further down i want to talk about how opportunities are expanding for the use of uh, renewable diesels in the electric power generation system which is very very much involved in oil and gas as well in that sector you're listening to an oil patch radio show we'll be right back And we're back. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Alan Schaefer, the Executive Director of Engine Technology Forum. Alan, before the break, we were discussing how California, through an executive order in 2017, implemented 
a real use of renewable diesel. And your graph, in which they started targeting in 2011, has shown a deep decline. And the numbers are moving in the way they want to see of removing or having less of a carbon footprint and being definitely uh, more better for uh, removing GHG, which is climate change in addressing our carbon footprint. But I want to switch gears because in the show, we cover a lot of what's happening in the energy sector, specifically oil and gas. However, we're favorable to all energy sources, as long as they make sense. Opportunities to expand the use of renewable diesels in electric power generation systems. I want to talk about that too, because there's a lot of efforts to decarbonize the economy and move away from fossil fuels to renewable energy sources. This says this in your report. And we do see that. They are shutting down coal plants, uh, natural gas, uh, fire generator plants as well. Um, there's a, a, Everyone is in favor, or not everyone, but a lot of uh, electric officials are in favor of renewables, such as solar, wind, uh, hydrogen has come on uh, as well. There's just a lot to select from. And it, this is what makes some of them, my job a little harder is to try to just distinguish between all the upcoming transitions that are occurring when we talk about energy. But I want to talk a little bit about your report, electric power generation systems and using and replacing it with renewable diesel. So as we're making these transition, what do you see happening in that area? And how will electric power generation change when we're talking about using this renewable diesel versus regular diesel or natural gas? Sure. Well, I think... Um... One thing we can all take away from um, the last few years is that there's an increasing reliance on electrification and the electric grid um, from a variety of different perspectives. And this administration is um, a number of initiatives that are going to put a lot more uh, reliance on electric power generation in the future to power our cars, um, maybe shifting away from natural gas and in industries and even in our homes to heat our homes. So there's a, an intention anyway, to uh, force a lot more uh, onto the grid. And as part of that, I think um, everyone starts thinking about resiliency and can we effectively ensure that we have the kind of power that we need, um, not only for our basic daily activities, but also in times of emergency, when, when things go bad from disasters or weather or uh, some kind of related incident where uh, our traditional electric power generating systems go down might be an ice storm, might be a hurricane, might be a tornado, um, you know, God forbid, might be a terrorist attack, uh, some kind of situation that would render our traditional expectation that we're gonna get electrons out of our outlet stops happening. Um, and so what do we do then? And so this is where we start thinking about what alternatives do we have to relying on the electric power grid? And one of the reasons that this paper is so important right now is because in the last few years in California, we have seen um, uh, major policy changes in how the state deals with the wildfire situation. And they directed the utilities in California to um, effectively power down the electric grid during times of high risk of wildfires, because they've learned in the past that some of the more major fires in California have in fact been caused by um, uh, limbs or branches falling on uh, electric power lines and creating a massive wildfire that then burns for many, many thousands of acres and uh, homes and lost and lives lost. Um, so in order to prevent that, they've ordered the utility to effectively shut down some of those high risk sections of the grid. So now you can imagine if you're on the other side of that and somebody says, we're gonna cut off your power tomorrow, we're not sure when it's coming back on, um, good luck with that. 
um, you know, what is the means that you can continue to keep providing electric power um, in these isolated islands, if you will, um, in this case of communities that have um, no access to power from the main grid, at least until conditions improve. And so um, one of the things that's happened in California is um, that the utilities have deployed uh, microgrids in some of these outlying communities in, in Northern California and other places that have been vulnerable to wildfires. Um, and these microgrids involve uh, a number of diesel generators that can be dispatched at a moment's notice simply through, uh, you know, uh, clicking a few buttons on a remote system would fire up the units and they would start providing electric power to those uh, to those homes and businesses that are connected to that grid while the main generating station uh, further distance away um, is effectively shut off. Um, so um, these units, um, folks are, of course, in California are very concerned about environmental implications of the use of um, uh, internal combustion engines. And, and uh, this is uh, no different, whether it's a truck or a machine uh, or electric power generator. So one of the novel things that's happened is that the, the dealers out there have started using uh, renewable diesel fuel in these backup generators. And so what this does is ensures that we can continue to have the kind of power that is needed to protect public health and safety, keep people connected to the internet, their banking systems, 911 centers, et cetera, um, but use do it in a way that is uh, able to manage this wildfire risk through providing power from these temporary backup generators. So yes, they're they're running, um, and if they're running on uh, these high 100% blends of renewable diesel fuel, they're doing so with lower emissions than they would otherwise have from petroleum diesel, and lower greenhouse gas emissions as well. So um, the state, of course, does not want to you know um, fall backward on progress for reducing greenhouse gas emissions, uh, and yet they need to effectively manage wildfire situations and power outages. So the, the diesel generator has been the gold standard for providing heavy load carrying, immediately responsive capacity um, for businesses, communities, um, hospitals, um, emergency communication centers, data centers um, for many, many years. So we know we can improve the performance of these units by using renewable diesel fuel in them. So when they are turned on, um, and everyone hopes that they might not have to be because we don't have a situation that requires them to be turned on. But if we do, then we're going to be using elect creating electricity in one of the most uh, environmentally sensitive, low carbon um, ways possible with these renewable fuels. So this paper really helps to bring that uh, bring that point home. I would say so, because it goes into detail of some of the companies that are looking into um, and are favorable manufacturers as well. And some of them are listing Caterpillar, Cummins, Deer, Rolls-Royce, to name a few. And then there's companies that are also looking for use in their generators. And that includes Amazon Web Services, Microsoft, Compass, Data Centers, Digital Realty. There's a lot of big names in here that are looking to, I guess, move to or incorporate the renewable diesels part of their portfolio or changing it. So it's not just looking at how we're changing planes and trains. It's also our cars and it's everything that we're using. Rather, you're using a Caterpillar farm equipment or a rental equipment. But also, you and I talked on the break about there are microgrids also being deployed all over in areas for energy demand when we're talking about 
exploration of oil and gas. I want to go to break and I want to talk a little bit about that as well, if that's what we see coming in the future. But we've got to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Little Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. Attention small and medium-sized business owners. Are you feeling overwhelmed with back office tasks like payroll, workers' compensation, federal regulations, safety laws, employment standards, and benefits? Don't worry. Unique HR has your back. For over 30 years, our team of qualified professionals has been providing people-centered solutions to help businesses like yours navigate the heavy burden of running a business and managing their workforce. We're the PEO with a pulse, and we are just a phone call away. Call us today at 361-852-6392. Unique HR, the partner you can trust. And we're back. You're listening to an old patch radio show. My guest today is Alan Schaefer, the executive director for Engine Technology Forum. I want to say in the oil and gas sector, what companies do you see in uh, North America that are investing in looking at how are they diversifying to get to net zero as well? Are there any operators that you see are diverse enough that are taking advantage of the renewable diesel? Uh, sure. I think, you know, there's a there's a tremendous um, uh, understanding about the opportunity that traditional oil and gas producers have to um, be part of the solution for decarbonization and, and attacking climate change. No matter where you stand, I think we all understand pretty clearly that fossil fuels are going to be around for a long time, no question about it. But as some of these newer fuels and technologies emerge, some of the, the consumption is going to, to drift over into those sectors. We're going to lose, uh, likely lose some consumption that we've had in the past for transportation as more cars become dependent on electrific- electrification, less gasoline. You know, uh, same thing with diesel to some extent. Um, as trucking starts to shift away a little bit from diesel, we might see more electric there, but it's going to be around for a long time. And the one way that the industry has, as we've seen tremendous interest in this, renewable diesel has offered a way to, um, I think, bridge the gap between the current and future generations of fuels and technology. And we've seen some really interesting business angles on this. And recently, I think uh, last two years ago, Chevron re- acquired Renewable Energy Group. REG is a, uh, one of the leaders in uh, advanced renewable biodiesel fuels out of Ames, Iowa. And uh, those guys uh, not only are producing renewable diesel, but a whole range of other products, uh, different blended products that um, have uh, really been uh, leaders in quality fuels in, in across the Midwest and other parts of the country. And the fact that Chevron has uh, acquired them, I think, uh, speaks volumes to what they see as the future for um, the part of renewable uh, biofuels like renewable diesel as part of their energy portfolio. Because we know that mm-hmm. they want to continue to serve their customers and be their supplier of choice, whatever kind of fuel that might be. Today, it's diesel. Tomorrow, might be renewable diesel. Uh, down the road, it might be hydrogen ICE. So we will we'll see a great potential there. So I think um, most of the oil companies that um, have watched this renewable diesel explosion, if you will, in the last 10 years or so, um, have really now started to embrace that. And we're seeing um, the response being a lot of investment um, in new refining capacity, a lot of uh, refineries and production facilities that might have been shuttered at points in the past or thought that they weren't um, useful anymore now are coming back online. Um, but coming back to produce renewable diesel um, and provide more supply. I think that's the issue now that and sort of addressing um, the feedstock issues and sort of making sure that there's adequate feedstock to produce this uh, volumes of renewable diesel that are going to be in demand um, in the next decade or so are really key are key points. And the other thing I would say is is diversifying where we have those fuels, because as we've discussed right now, the fuels really are only available in California and Oregon and Washington. I, I can say I get I get calls and emails all the time saying I've got a diesel pickup truck. I live in New Jersey. Where can I get renewable diesel? And my answer right now is thanks for the 
the interest, but I'm sorry, there's really not any renewable diesel fuel available in your area. There might be some biodiesel here and there, but it's not on a large scale um, or easily accessible in many cases. But what we have coming, though, um, we've got some great new investment coming from Neste, which has been a company that has been a leader in um, these fuels um, in New York. And uh, also, I think further in the southeast, there's going to be some some new uh, terminals coming online that will bring these renewable fuels into the East Coast in ways that we haven't seen before. So I think the geographic diversification of getting more of this advanced product out there is going to happen um, uh, as good demand grows and some of the refining and traditional oil companies uh, start to invest in putting in the refining capacity to themselves produce um, their renewable diesel products. Mm -hmm. What about pricing? Is, is it cheaper or what is the pricing when we look at diesel versus renewable diesel? Well, keep in mind that um, the the pricing of renewable fuels today is is a multifactorial thing that is involving actual cost of production, but there's also some tax incentives in there. Uh, dollar a gallon blenders tax credit comes to play. There's also some other incentive uh, uh, taxes and, and credits that are there. And particularly if you're in California, you there's there, you may not have a choice in terms of compliance. So it's hard to really mm -hmm. tease out the actual dollar cost of renewable diesel versus regular diesel, but in the marketplace, if you're buying it, it's it's very close to the price of regular diesel. I mean, it's really literally just a few, typically just a few pennies away, and sometimes um, even cheaper, uh, depending on the market. But um, uh, so you know, it, it's it it is a fuel that does provide you know greater benefits in terms of lower greenhouse gas and other emissions. So um, you would expect it to be a premium product. Right now, it doesn't necessarily come through that way because of some of these incentives and other things. And what about scalability in the way of when do you see this like in your graph? And again, I encourage our listeners to go get your report because in there it shows the states that are making their way to looking at this or implementation, just like California. But scalability in like Texas and other states that are really going to be, I guess, uh, large states to try to get renewable diesel implemented. Do you have any idea of what that looks like? Or are we looking at maybe five years, 10 years before this becomes really a household name and, hey, I'm going to go fuel up and go gas up my truck in renewable diesel. Yeah. Um, well, I will I will say that I think that there's there's a lot of investments that are currently in the pipeline and some that have been recently, um, recently put in um, and are producing some supply today. But I think within the next five years, we're going to have a much wider coverage and more available uh, renewable diesel than we have today. Um, how much more? Um, you know, it uh, it depends, I guess, on a number of factors. But if we follow the investments um, that have been made so far, I think um, one of the forecasts I saw was that um, if all those investments came true, and and uh, this is putting new refining capacity online and producing uh, the product out the end, um, that we would be able to displace all of the diesel fuel consumption in California, 100%, in in not too many years. So there is tremendous investment there by the traditional petroleum sector. That is that is key to bringing this uh, to a wider audience. Um, you know, a lot of factors come into play there. Obviously, the the price of diesel fuel itself, what's happening around the world with some of the global instability, can be a factor. Um, but um, I think you know, as we look at it, there's you know the the number of new plants being built to produce renewable diesel um, is easily uh, between ten and twenty right now. And so those line, those you know, plants coming online, producing you know, um, maybe 10, 20, 30,000 barrels a day, something like that, a product. Initially, um, we're going to bring some big supply in uh, compared to where we have been, and bring it into more places in probably in the next five years or so. And I think then 
if you look out 10 years, we're, we're going to be trying to displace a big part of the um, diesel fuel pool. I think if you look at the, the numbers right now, that uh, we're using about 40 couple billion gallons of diesel fuel in the U.S. annually. And uh, we are on track. The biodiesel industry and renewable diesel um, folks believe that they can produce 5 billion gallons by uh, 2025. So um, we've got you know a ways to go to start to really dent that re the the dig into the whole diesel fuel capacity, but you know keep in mind I think as you step back um, the future of greenhouse gas and climate mitigation we have to think of it as as more eclectic right there's going to be some sectors that um, are going to go towards some of these renewable fuels some sectors that will stay in the petroleum world just because they can't really mm -hmm. change easily. And some sectors that will move towards electrification or hydrogen or fuel cells, et cetera. So um, um, we are we, we shouldn't look at it as something that we need to come up and produce exactly the same or more than we are producing of diesel today. What we need to see is a greater geographic diversity and availability of the fuels. So if as part of um, one company's, you know, needs or demands or ESG considerations or desires that they can get that fuel and choose to use it. Alan, thank you for being a guest today and helping us understand all about the benefits of renewable bio-based diesel fuel. For more information on this report, our listeners can go to energytechnologyforum.org. Alan, thank you again for joining us on In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thanks for having us, Kim. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bilotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.